Tomorrow, the Women's World Cup kicks off in Australia and New Zealand. And for the first time ever, the Irish national team is taking part. And there's the run of Barrett. And Barrett's given herself a chance here. Amber Barrett in on goal. Amber Barrett makes the breakthrough. That was sheer brilliance from Amber Barrett. It was this goal from Amber Barrett against Scotland last October that earned the girls in green their World Cup place. Brosnan takes it. That's it. Esther blows the whistle. And Ireland are going to the World Cup. What a night in Glasgow. Viewed as underdogs, the team have three gruelling matches ahead of them in the group stage. And even though anything can happen in sport we're probably not going to be bringing home the Golden Trophy. Hey, we're going to make you proud. But aiming for winning the World Cup is just not realistic. If we say we're going to win the World Cup, then we can only be disappointed. I'm Bernice Harrison, and this is in the news from the Irish Times. Today, I speak to football pundit and former women's international Karen Duggan about the road ahead for the girls in green. So, Karen, our first match is tomorrow, July the 20th. That's the first day of the tournament. Who are we playing and do we have a chance? (laughs) Um, We are playing the hosts, Australia. Um, They are ranked a lot higher than us. They are the host nation and the majority, although the Irish have a good support base, the majority of that sold out 80,000 seater will be behind the Aussies. Um, They have also the best striker in the world in Sam Kerr. So we're going to have our work cut out for us. But we do have a little bit of confidence in that we've tended to overachieve against the higher ranked teams. And we did play Australia in a friendly a couple of years ago and came out on top. And that kind of was the catalyst for change. I mean, Vera was coming under pressure at that time. Um, and then after that, it seemed like it f- it flipped a switch almost. Um, so the girls will take a lot of confidence from that, but they also need to be very wary because Australia have played a lot of friendlies recently and have been, I was very impressed with them when they beat the current European champions, England, recently. So, you know, big, okay. tough, tough task ahead. Okay, so after that, there's in this is the first group. So in the group, how many games are there? Three games in the group. Okay, so so next then? Next then we have to face the current Olympic champions Mm. in Canada and then the one of the strongest African teams in Nigeria. But what I would say is those two teams haven't been without their troubles in the lead up to this tournament. Um, been well documented that Canada have been having a dispute with their federation over um, finances and funding. They fought hard for their success on the field but are still fighting with Canada soccer for equal treatment. The disparity between the treatment of the men's and women's national teams is glaring. We are so sick and tired of having to scratch and claw for transparency. And similarly, there was big fallout in Nigeria about um, players not being correctly paid and then the federation taking away the manager's coach uh, and all this sort of fallout. So they're not without their troubles, but they're also not without a lot of high quality in their squads. So we're going into all three matches underdogs, are we? Yeah, in a way, I think that we are just based on the fact that Nigeria have been in the World Cup many times before and this is our first foray into any major tournament, not just the World Cup, into Euros or anything like that. Um, So essentially we will be punching above our weight in terms of tournament experience. Um, But I think that 
there's there is points there to be taken. It's not the worst group we could have gotten. We're kind of away from the more technical teams, your Spains and Japans, and and if it's kind of put up to us in a a, a dogfight, we kind of like that. <laughs> so I think there will be games like that. So I think there's points there to be taken. Where are we in the rankings? We're 22nd in the world, which is our highest ever ranking um, and is a huge achievement that that we have climbed those spots. And again, that's because we have been punching above our weight, getting results against Finland and Sweden, who would have been traditionally the stronger teams in Europe. But we went and got results against them in our World Cup qualifiers, which, you know, not only does it boost our rankings and, and help us kick on in that way, um, it also just breeds confidence into the squad that you can go to a World Cup and, and make an impact. For the first time, the FIFA Women's World Cup is coming here to Australia. Now, the tournament is in the Southern Hemisphere and, you know, anytime there's any of these big global games in the Southern Hemisphere, we always have to think about what times the the games are on. Does it suit us? Does it suit us at all? Are, are they... I expected it to be worse, um, but we actually have 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. kickoffs Irish time, which, you know, is is not too bad. Obviously, a lot of us will be in the office and so you might have to to talk nicely to your boss to maybe put it it on screen. But um, it's brilliant that, you know, kids are on summer holidays. So, you know, I remember back to watching my first World Cup and we used to wheel the the TV into the classroom. (laughs) We were given that. So um, kids will be able to be exposed to this. And I think that that's a big thing for the women's game is putting them in front of of you know young kids and it's been a, a real mindset that this group of girls have had that they were like we want to inspire the next generation so we're lucky in a way that 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 we're not in in the middle of the night and no one has to have a fight with their parents yeah. to, to watch the games and of course they're all on RTE which is great they have the yeah. rights to show all the matches of every single one in the whole tournament which is great and on the on the TV mm-hmm. or else on the player so Karen can we talk about the Irish squad. Now, tell me about team selection. It's early days for women's football in Ireland. Did the manager, Vera Powell, have, you know, a large number of women to choose from? She, in, she did and she didn't. She There's there's a, a base of players that have been there and have been there for a long time. But we're kind of unique compared to other teams in that when we qualified a lot of new people came into the fold in terms of American-based players or Australian-based players who got their hands on an Irish passport. So that we, while we have a relatively small pool compared to a lot of countries, that brought in kind of a new element to, to selection because you don't want to upset the balance of the squad that got us to the World Cup, but you're now stepping up a level and you have to bring in what the best possible team that you can. So it was very difficult for Vera to, to make the final selection and there was an awful lot of talk in the media from the second we we won that qualifier in Hampden Park against Scotland of who would be on that plane to Australia. When I now have to tell players that they're not going to the World Cup, they hate me. If you cannot do that, then you have to really have to do another job and those, those moments I wish I was doing another job. Uh, but it's for them worse than for me. And we played a friendly against Zambia and and some girls were given their final chance to make the squad and you could sense the nervousness throughout the squad. And even in the lead up to that game, it was all, will you be selected, won't you be selected? And it, it seemed to have a heavy burden on a lot of the girls, even the girls who were selected because it was almost like they, they were afraid to be happy about their selection because, you know, maybe their friend wasn't and, and there was so much disappointment there. But I guess that's the nature of 
the elite sport when you get to that level you have to make the hard decisions and Vera Pau had to, to make her final 23 and whether you agree with this or not you have to put trust in the manager that's brought you to a World Cup And were there any surprises? It's hard to say about surprises of inclusion because everyone is worth their while. I would say a surprise of exclusions. I think that Jamie Finn, um, she played a lot of the qualification campaign. So she's been brought as a training squad. Obviously, we'll be disappointed to have not made the final 23. And then we also have had a lot of talk about our lack of firepower up front. And we have Leanne Kiernan playing at Liverpool, who um, has had her injury worries, but is a different type of player that would have made a real impact, I think, off the bench for us. So they were two that we spoke a lot about in the media and their exclusion was was highly documented. Um, and then, I suppose, inclusion, we've got a few girls there that played their first game on Irish soil um, in the France friendly just before the girls travelled to Australia, you know, new passports girls who've come from America. So, again, a unique position, but Vera has seen something in them to warrant a, a spot on that plane and you just hope that they understand the significance of pulling on that Irish jersey at their first major World Cup because really it is monumental. There'll be a lot of people watching that maybe have never actually watched uh, the women's game at all. Who are the stars? Who are the ones to watch for in the Irish team? In the Irish team, I think we've got two standout superstars in Katie McCabe and Denise O'Sullivan. So Katie McCabe, obviously... Um, most people will have heard of her now. She's on a lot of billboards around the country. She's been playing at Arsenal, current Arsenal Player of the Year, goal of the season. You know, she she's a bona fide superstar. It's McCabe, what a goal. Brilliant from Katie McCabe. And Arsenal lead for the first time on the day. She'll get a lot of attention in England where the game is gone from strength to strength since um, England won the Euros a couple of years ago. So she's almost a household name now, which is, you know, fantastic. And it's someone of her talent is deserving to be that way. And then you've got Denise O'Sullivan from a proud Cork woman. Um, she's playing her trade in, in America. So we don't see her on our screens as much. But again, when you see her in an Irish jersey, you can tell that she's just a cut above the rest. And she epitomises for me everything that it means to play for Ireland, her hard work, her graft, um, tenacity, and she's got the skill to back it up as well. So if if you're new to the game, um, I think you'll be in awe of, of these two girls. But there's there's a number of girls that, that play with them and support them and have been around the block for a long time and they deserve to be given a shout out as well. The likes of Niamh Fahey, Louise Quinn, you know, they've over a hundred caps for Ireland and maybe thought they'd never get one at a major tournament, but they, they stuck in there and they ploughed on. And um, again, we'll be very proud watching them um, come that first game against Australia. And what sort of football does the Irish team play? I mean, <laughs> if you're expecting to see, you know, ticky-tacky kind of good um, Brazilian-style football, maybe lower those expectations <laughs> a little bit. I mean, it's... I, I hate to compare it to the men's game or the but possibly Jack Charlton <laughs> similar. We, we have a, a very defensive style, but um, that's the first thing you need to get right in order to compete against the bigger teams. You have to be able to frustrate those teams and that's what we did in qualification. And again, we're, we're stepping up another level now in the World Cup. So it will be built on a strong defence. We'll have a number of bodies behind the ball and we'll be playing for set pieces. Um, 
But we have a bit of magic in our ranks in the likes of Katie McCabe, Cara Carusa and um, Denise O'Sullivan. So, so anything possi- could happen. Anything could happen, but maybe don't expect <laughs> it to. Now, I was reading in your Irish Times column um, on the Ireland-France match. That was that was the last match that the women played before they, they got on the plane. It was a friendly in Tallis Stadium. I think it was the biggest um, crowd that the, the Irish team had played before, wasn't it? It was brilliant. Yeah, it's the biggest home game, home attendance that we've had. Amazing. And yeah, it's it's amazing. And it goes to show that the interest is building around this World Cup. Now, in that column, though, you, you sort of made me a bit worried there now because you said this is not the Ireland team that qualified for the World Cup. No, it's not. Um, and we're going to find out a lot about this team from the first game against Australia because we've only really had that one game against France with their full new starting 11 because like I said new girls have come in since that qualification campaign and you know it takes time to gel and I'm sure they've been putting in a lot of hard work both in video analysis and on the pitch over this this camp they've had a long time together and you'd hope that they're fully gelled by now we have to trust that these players that were brought in came in hit the ground running and understand their roles within the team um, and understand again that this team is built off kind of grit and hard work and if they have that then there shouldn't be any problem but it, it is a strange one that you you do have such a, a shift in particularly the, the forward areas of our starting 11 going in from when we qualified. I'll continue my conversation with Karen Duggan after this short break. Now, can we talk a little about how the women's game has grown in Ireland? Um, can you sort of like plot a trajectory? You know, how did we get to where we are now? A lot of hard work by a lot of people. Um, I mean, when Ireland qualified um, in Scotland, Hampden Park, a lot of the girls made reference to people who've gone before them, your Olivia O'Toole's, your Emma Burns, people who fought for higher standards. We're not allowed to keep the kit, so it's humiliating to have to go into a, to- a public toilet and change, no matter what. Um, it doesn't cost much to give the squad a tracksuit to travel. If they want us wearing the same clothes, wearing the badge, give us a tracksuit. It's not that difficult. I'm actually a little bit embarrassed talking about it. They don't have enough tracksuits. And there's a, a lot of people, obviously, it's well documented that there was a big kind of standoff in 2017. And that's when the media started to take interest, really. And that's when attendances started to grow. You were playing on the team at that point. Yeah, I would have been. And it just got to a point where we knew we had so much talent within the squad, but we knew that more could be done to kind of nurture it and make us a better team. And we didn't feel like there was the support from this association to allow us to get to that next step. As Anya said, I think it is small issues that we're trying to resolve. We just want to play as footballers. We want to be able to compete against the teams we're playing against. And we think that small issues that, that we have put up to the FAI aren't that hard to be, to be resolved. Now we're at a point where there's a new FAI regime and that was part of the catalyst to change that, which, you know, everyone who stood together in Liberty Hall that day can be very proud of. Um, but I think the media interest was a huge part of that. The fact that the pressure came on the association, people were starting to write columns about it and, and come to the games and, and comment on the fact that we do have wonderful players, but why aren't we reaching major tournaments and put that spotlight on the association, but also on the girls to start reaching their potential. Um, so I Because think I think that at the time, huge. you know, your complaints at the time were something 
people who had no clue about football could really understand. They were basic stuff. Yeah, really basic stuff. And I think a lot of people like latched onto the tracksuit, having to change the tracksuit. But the main thing we wanted was more training and better facilities and just more support around strength and conditioning and nutrition, all, all the basic kind of elements. And while all of that wasn't delivered, what was delivered was a spotlight, you know, there was a spotlight on these girls. So more people were talking about their talent and that meant that more professional teams started looking at our girls. And now we have a situation where most of our Irish team are playing in a professional environment abroad, you know. And while that might not be great for our league, it's certainly been fantastic for the Irish team. And I do think the media interest had a lot to to do with that spotlight coming on the girls and them getting to showcase their talents. I think for me, a sign that the FAI has changed in their attitude was when I heard that the the team flew out to Australia in two lots Mm -hmm. because the players had to sit up front. Yeah. And whatever about the Blazers... All the players had to sit up front, so it had to. It was. It had to go in two lots in two different plane loads. Yeah, it's brilliant to see. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> gone are the days where it might be a Ryanair flight over um, to Australia. That wouldn't happen. But yeah, it was brilliant to see them being being treated in that way. Like it's still scratching the surface of where the men's game is, but it's those little gestures that would go a long way for the girls feeling appreciated. And and that's important as well. You know, you don't, (laughs) the girls feeling comfortable and appreciated in their environment is huge. Um, We all remember what happened in Saipan when maybe the facilities weren't great. So getting those little things in order um, will hugely help them settle. There's been a lot of unrest around the squad in terms of allegations around the manager and the squad selection and all that kind of hullabaloo that went with it. So for them to be just feeling good in their environment, feel valued at this point, really being allowed to focus on that first game against Australia, um, it'll be hugely beneficial to them. Well, now you mentioned Vera Powell and this, the the sort of the noise mm-hmm. around her specifically this month. And I, just a little bit of background for our listeners to that. She managed the Houston Dash team. Uh, there were allegations that she was physically aggressive and that she weight shamed some of the players during the 2018 season she was there. And last December, she was banned from coaching professional soccer in the United States following an investigation into systematic abuse by the governing body, the US governing body. Now, the FAI has branded this sanction unfair uh, and Powell has said that she's she's fighting the findings via legal channels. Now, that was in the news before and it was back in the news just this month. That has to be unsettling for, for the team going out. Yeah, it was hugely frustrating at a time where we should have been gearing up and it should have been like a celebratory send off for the girls. It felt like, again, it kind of clouded that. It was all that they were going to be asked about in the media. Of course, it's a, a real negative distraction. But for us, yes, of course, it's a lot of external noise. But our fully focus is on these next few weeks um, and keeping together as a, as a group. Like, this is such a huge, huge moment and the media has such a responsibility to grow the game like it did in 2017, maybe unbeknownst to itself, that you wanted it to be a celebration and to be all about the girls. So it was unfortunate that an, an article came out and we couldn't dismiss it offhand. And the reason we couldn't dismiss it offhand was because back in December when the original report came out, the FAI almost immediately came out in support of Vera. Did you and think that was the right thing to do, by the way? 
I think that time maybe could have been taken. I think that it's good to to let these things settle and make sure you've done your due diligence on these things. And, you know, the findings might have been the same, that it was 100% support, that the girls are completely behind them. But if, if we'd gotten testimonies from the girls at that time, if we'd gotten them to say we're happy in this environment, that none of what's been alleged here is seeping into our environment, which we'd hope it isn't and we assume it isn't. Um, if we'd gotten those testimonies at that time when this new article came out in The Athletic, we could have said, well, we've looked into this, we've we've dismissed, we can dismiss this offhand and that quietens the noise straight away. So I think while support will, was probably, or may have been the right thing to do at the time, it maybe just came a little too quickly, you know, um, and it's just a pity because, again, we just want to focus on the football at this point. And does Vera Powell have full support of the team? Um, you know, it, it, I found Katie's press conference very interesting. Obviously, she was um, happy that where Vera had brought them to in terms of getting them to the World Cup and stuff, but she was very conscious also not to speak on behalf of everyone in the team. I can't answer for each and every player, in, in my opinion, um, and from my personal relationship with Vera, of course, yeah, we've, we've clashed many a times, um, but we're always professional enough to, to make sure we are fully focused for the team. Everyone's experiences with managers are, are very, very different, um, and particularly someone like Katie, who's, you know, she's the best player on the team, she's a leader on the team, she's been captain since she was 21. Her experience with a manager, she's going to, be able to speak to a manager and back herself in a way that maybe a fringe player wouldn't. So I was glad she did that and, and she'll allow girls to speak their own kind of truth when, when it, the time comes to it. Um, but I could tell she was just frustrated with being asked the questions at that point. Um, I think she handled it really well, um, saying yes without saying yes kind of a way. So can we talk just about the World Cup mm-hmm. in general? It's It's going to be the biggest women's sporting event in the world this year. Um, the viewership is projected to be 2 billion. In 2019, when it was in France, it was 1.1 billion. So they expect that this time it's going to double. I mean, that's extraordinary figures. Who are the favourites? Um, you can never write off the USA. I keep wanting to because I've seen them play and, you know, they're a team that Ireland played in a couple of friendlies this year and they don't get me excited, you know, but they're so hard to write off in tournaments. They're they're the most successful team at, at the World Cup and a lot of players are coming to the end of their career and they'll want to go out with a bang. Um if and I they're look, going for their third win, aren't they, in a row? Yeah, in so, a row. So again, mm. yeah, I'd be foolish to write them <laughs> off. But in terms of teams that... You know, we know a lot of players from from looking at them in Europe. Um, England won the Euros, but have been very misfortunate with some of their injuries. Um, you know, they, their top goal scorer and golden boot from the last tournament of the Euros, which they won. Um, she's out, their captain is out. You know, they're, they're huge figures. And, you know, those are the little things that make a difference. Um, they played Germany in the final of that Euros um, and Germany lost their kind of talismatic forward just before the warm-up. And I think if Alexandra Pop had been playing that game, that maybe England wouldn't have won that game. So I would still put the Germans in the mix because Alexandra Pop is back. And they're the Germans, you know, <laughs> they're strong. They've had a strong domestic league for many years. They're annoyed that other teams are taking the top spot. They won't be liking that England are now seen as the best team in Europe. So Germany are certainly there, thereabouts. And then if you're looking for a team that are really good to watch, Spain. Spain. Why? Uh, just they're... Their domestic league is growing, but they have the best team in Europe in Barcelona. They've, they're have they a team that are selling out the new Camp. And, Oof. 
you know, you're you're not doing that out of tokenism. You're doing that because you're you really have a team to get behind. And it's um, exciting. They obviously played an exciting type of game, they, do they? Yeah, they they would be uh, the type of team that Ireland wouldn't like to face. They have that kind of flair that you would associate with any Barcelona team. So a lot of those players are are in the squad again. They're another team that haven't been without turmoil in the lead up. Where again players stepped away because they weren't happy with the management some of them came back some of them didn't so you know there's there might be a bit of a lack of unity in that dressing room but in terms of their style of play very very attractive but I don't know if I would give them my full support just because of you know if you're fighting a cause you fight it through to the end and you don't half fight it and then leave some people out to dry which appears to be what they have done. Now, finally, we have to talk about predictions, of course. I need to get your prediction. Now, I read in one of your columns, um, you said, perhaps we should lessen expectations to three competitive shifts in Australia. Stay safe and secure, offering respectability for the next generation to piggyback off. Now, you wrote that. Now, admittedly, now that was before the squad had been chosen, before the team set off. What do you think now? Do you still think the same? Do you think, you know, we'll be in the first group and that's that? We won't progress. What do you think? I just think looking at the threats that Australia have, that that first game could be a massive hurdle for us and how much will that game take out of us. I'd love it. If we pull off an upset in that first game, I really do think anything can happen. I think we can beat the Nigerians. I think they've had a lot of turmoil. I think they're weak at the back. They're powerful and very, very fast, but we'll have enough players back hopefully to contend with. The pessimist in me says, you know, we'll struggle against the the host nation and the current uh, Olympic champions and maybe get a result against Nigeria. But, you know, there's always that light of hope in you that thinks, God, if we got a draw in that first one, what could happen? If we are being realistic and we are looking at tournament experience and where we are in the rankings, we are up against it. OK, and, but look, I suppose, yeah. Karen, it is sport. Yeah. Anything can happen. And especially in tournament football and it's our first time there so here's hoping. Brilliant. Thanks very much, Karen. That's it for today. For more coverage of the Women's World Cup subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. This episode was produced by Suzanne Brennan and Estefania Bedoya. <laughs>